Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, well, thank you, Dave Slade. Thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcasts and our Facebook Live broadcasts are all sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit the retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% off your order, and you can sport some of the fine uh, Baseballism clothing that we've been sporting on our Facebook Lives uh, baseball lizard clothes are so good they make even me look good. That's really a challenge, uh, but they've overcome that. And uh, we're going to have a challenge on this podcast to see if we can agree on our major league predictions and kind of try to set you up over the weekend for the start of the major league season. Very exciting. We've done all we can to get to the major league opening day. And Matt Eddy and Kyle Glazer and myself, John Manuel, will try to take you into the start of the season. Guys, here's a quick question: Which is real opening day? Is there one opening day or two? We got Sunday games. We got Monday games. I, you know, it's almost like the Sunday games. I, I, I wish that it was the opening day, which is like Monday. Everybody started the same day, but we have this staggered start. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I'm okay with it when it's, you know, a Sunday and a Monday. What's not okay is when they play three games halfway across in the Australia, world. Yeah. And then everyone else is still playing exhibition games and spring training games. And then, oh, and now we're going to have everyone playing April 1. That's when it's a fake opening day, if you That's will. That's so weird. I right. Agree. This one, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, that They'll start the three games or however many they play on that Sunday, and then everyone else plays Monday. I'm okay with that Sunday being referred to as opening day. Sydney opening day was a little that was a little strange. They, uh, they did right. it in Japan, too, I think, once. And there's yeah. just been a oh, yeah. Mexico series. That's right. Yeah, right. The A's were like on March 25th against the Mariners playing three games, and everyone else was still in, in Arizona. It was in the late '90s. I think Mets Cubs did it too. Open in Tokyo. I think that's. I think that's right. That's yeah. how about that? I hadn't even thought about the, the Japan stars. I'd forgotten about that one. Matt, which, which is open, which is true opening day proper for you? Eh, whatever, whatever MLB tells me is fine. I'll, I'll watch. <laughs> Question authority, Matt. Come on. <laughs> Question authority. We're happy with the, we're happy with major league games and games that count. And that was the beauty of the classic that you got games that count. But then you kind of have this little lull afterwards. Um, we'll have news next week, and we'll pod next week about um, you know surprise players who made the major leagues. We'll have our opening day roster issue goes to press next Thursday. Um, we'll have the Donnie Everett feature uh, that you can read online. Also, in the next issue of the magazine, it's a, a gripping and uh, you know heartbreaking tale about uh, former Vanderbilt pitcher Donnie Everett. Um, but we're going to talk about the major league season today. And guys, our major league predictions in this issue. Uh, all of us picked the Cubs to win the National League. All of us except for one. <laughs> you, Matt Eddy, did not pick the Cubs to win the National League. Is that more of a reflection on the Cubs and their tenuous hold on the top of the National League or on baseball proper, or is that more a reflection on the team that you did pick, the Los Angeles Dodgers? Yeah, I picked the Dodgers. I love their depth of pitching. You know, the Cubs have worked two postseasons deep now, and I think some fatigue and injury potential might, hmm. might rear its head this year. Not not to wish not to wish that on the Cubs, but I just think the that Dodgers reality, the Dodgers have the strong the best pitcher in the game with a strong supporting cast 
their offense is good. I mean, Corey Seager is an MVP candidate, and the rest of the offense is pretty good, too. And, you know, it's funny. I actually picked the Cubs, but I strongly weighed putting the Dodgers in as well. And here's my thing, and maybe I'm clouded from being at Dodger Stam Law over the last three years. I'm skeptical. I, I shouldn't say that. I'm concerned the Dodgers are going to be wasting starts on the Brandon McCarthy's of the world. He's going to get hurt. Hyunjin Ryu's going to get hurt. Scott Kazmir, frankly, doesn't have anything left. They're going to throw him out there, and he's going to get hurt. I still feel like the Dodgers would actually be a better team. And obviously you have injury con- or uh, inning concerns with Julio Urias and Brock Stewart. But to me, I've just seen the Dodgers waste so many innings on guys who are going to break down and don't give you much anymore. Brett Anderson's no longer there, but he was a classic case of that. And at the end of last year, you saw they were down to one and a half pitchers because they were relying on Scott Kazmir. Well, no duh, he got hurt. Rich right. Hill has blister issues. Clayton Kershaw's back is always concerning. So for me, as much as the Cubs are aging, and I completely agree with what Matt is saying, for me, what tilted the scales in the Cubs' favor is I don't frankly trust the Dodgers right now to utilize those pitchers they have appropriately to get them through to October just because they haven't done it. They've never shown they do it. It is surprising the, the small number of reliable pitchers that they have right now. That That is surprising that they have this... Large number of injury-prone and they, guys, and they keep kind of throwing them out. But right, and that's the problem is it's one because even Rich Hill, man, has Rich Hill ever thrown two hundred innings? I don't know. He's thirty-seven. He's probably not going to start now. Maybe at Iowa in two thousand five. And, and that's yeah. why for me, as yeah. much as I really like the Logan Forsythe acquisition, I still, you know, maybe I'm off my rocker here, but I feel like you're the off Dodgers your rocker. Might have been in a better position with a rotation of Kershaw, Maeda, mm-hmm. Hill. And then using Urias Stewart De Leon to fill those, you know, final, you know, four and five spots, as opposed to what they're doing now, which is, oh well, we're gonna, you know, try and rely on Hyunjin Ryu and Brandon McCarthy and Scott Kazmir. It is it is a different era of starting pitching though that you can, you know, have a Japanese rookie and a slight bodied Japanese rookie in Kenta Maeda in his first year adjusting to throwing every fifth day, not every sixth day, um, a new league, new culture. And he's your innings pitch leader at 176 innings last year, 175 and two thirds. And I'm keep in mind, when they signed him, they knocked the number, the salary down because they were concerned about health. Right. Which, so it was impressive on that regard. But you also have to consider there was a lot of discussion that he did wear down at the end last year. So for right. me, so are you forecasting problems for a pitcher with an elbow problem who threw the most sliders in the league? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Never. <laughs> So, but anyway, so look, there, there's no question the Dodgers have the talent. I would like to see the front office and the management side utilize that talent better on the pitching side to get them to a strong place in October rather than being held together by a strength. The first, my first thought this offseason would not have been, but we really need more hitting. It would have been like, you know, we probably could use a dependable starter in the middle of the rotation, but it was easier to go get Logan Forsythe. But if I were. Picking apart the Rays roster, if I were the Dodgers, I think I kind of agree with you that I would have, especially the, you know, the Rays, the Dodgers front office knows the Rays roster fairly well since Andrew Friedman put a lot of it together. I mean, um, I, I got it because they did. The foresight does fit them pretty they, well. They needed a right-handed bat. They had to get another one. They needed one to play second base. So he was a perfect fit, and I don't dislike the trade. I just, in the context of their pitchers and what they have and what will be most effective to getting them at full strength in October... I think they need to make a few different decisions, and they might if they do, 
there's a very good chance that they can vanquish the Cubs. But again, yeah. if they're facing the Cubs in the NLCS with Clayton Kershaw, Kenley Jansen, and Bailey Wire, and, yeah. and, and maybe a little Rich Hill, that's not going to cut it. Come on, what about Alex Wood? Charlotte's own Alex Wood. They, they, also they, injury, they also of, right. injury prone. They do have a lot of uh, they do have a lot of options. But there are a lot of prone options. That is that is interesting. I think the Dodgers. Um, the other thing that makes them interesting to me, Matt, is that they're. Their lineup is some key guys there are older. This is a team with a really good farm system. Mm-hmm. But even, I mean, Red Turner's coming off a great year. But I mean, Red Turner was a, what, 2006 college draft? Uh, Logan Forsyth is 30 years old. Right. This is a young man's league in the Dodgers. Yeah, Adrian Gonzalez. It's a lot of older guys that are That's really fair. key players for them. I might be placing too much faith in Corey Seeger. But he's, but he's a good guy to but, place but, but see, I think they balance it because you're right, they have those older guys, but. Corey Seager's young, Jock Peterson's young. They right. brought in some good players, you know, the Trace Thompsons, the Andrew Tolses, guys who can, you know, fit around. Yasiel Puig, we think of him as older because he's been around for a while. He's not. He's still right. in his mid-20s. Yeah. So I, I do think they actually balance that well. I think Puig is a huge key for them. Who, who do we pick in the American League here? Well, the American League, our picks uh, ran the gamut. Uh, I see uh, Red Sox, I see Rangers, I see several Indians, and I see several Astros picks. And the American Uh-oh. League does feel more wide open. And I'll tell you, the, the team I have the least confidence in out of those teams we just mentioned are the Red Sox right now. I mean, is it fair to say that the Red Sox, maybe outside of uh, the Rockies with the Chad Bettis with his cancer returning, his testicular cancer returning, and the injury to Tom Murphy and some of their other injuries. I, the, Rock, I know the Rockies had a really bad spring. Did anybody have a worse spring other than them than maybe the Red Sox? I mean, David Price and Drew Pomerantz's injuries. I mean, the one defining characteristic of David Price has been his durability. And now he's opening the season on the disabled list, and that's a first for him. Drew Pomerantz, his name is disabled list. So that one can't be a big surprise. But they also gave up Anderson Espinosa to get him. Um, I think they had a pretty brutal spring training, frankly. They did, but I still see a team that has a really deep lineup. They still have guys that can come in on the mound, whether it's those big guys, you know, or you also have Porcello. But we've even seen Stephen Wright come in. Hey, all-star Stephen Wright. We've seen, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez has had some good moments as well. Henry Owens is still laying around if they can ever get him fixed. I mean, uh, yeah. I still, but I, <laughs> I still more think, faith in him than I do. But I, I still think there's, there's, you know, enough talent there arms-wise and a good enough lineup that – you know, they're a team that can overcome an injury to, you know, two of their starting pitchers, as well as anyone in baseball. I did pick them. You know, I kind of think that people are underrating the Rangers a little bit, and we've seen that. The Astros have been the trend you pick to win the division now since they had that turnaround in 2014. Right. But the Rangers... This is their year, according to Sports Illustrated, three years ago. But that's true. But if you look at the Rangers, the ones who keep winning the division, and I believe there have been the playoffs, what, seven of nine years, and they average, they've they averaged 88 wins a year over those last this few years. This is the greatest era of Rangers history. It's not even close. I mean, uh, take, step aside. Uh, who was that right-handed pitcher that used to start against the, the guy who... Uh, not Danny. Was it Danny Cole was a closer. I'm trying to think of their starting pitcher who the well, they had, Yankees you know, Rammy cacked in 1996. Ron Helling? Rick Helling. John Burkett. Yeah, yeah those this was not those guys. This, this was a much worse. It's a one-year wonder guy. I'll find yeah. him. I, I don't like the pitching depth, obviously, especially as a former Padres writer. Oh, you're going to trust Andrew Kashner? Good luck with that. Yeah. But <laughs> I do think, I, I look at this lineup, the addition of Mike Napoli. Roger it's, Pavlik. It's something. Yes. Roger Pavlik, <laughs> all star Roger Pavlik, I believe one year. I think I think that I think you're with right. a crazy ERA, like a five ERA, but he got yeah. in or something. Yeah, he had a very good first half in 1996. <laughs> the um, but overall, I, I think that 
The Astros are the trendy pick. And if you look at our preseason predictions, I was responsible for writing up the AL West. I have the Astros as the division champion. But really, I do think people are, I don't want to say overexcited about the Astros, but I do think there's a bit of an underrating of the Rangers given what they've accomplished, who they've got. It's a right-left mix. It's There's some veterans and some young guys. We know that they can go bombs away. And frankly, right. it's not like their rotation has been fantastic the last two years either beyond Hamels and Darvish, and they've still found enough ways to win. I can see them doing the same thing this year. Yeah, and getting full full strength you Darvish back from Tommy John surgery is Hopefully huge. Full strength. I mean that's 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 what they're kind of banking on to me is the case for the Rangers to me rests on improvement some from the Nomar Mazaras and Rudnetto doors of the world. That Adrian Beltre holds on for one more, you know, holds on for one more day. Mike Napoli, uh, he can still keep going as an right, older bring, guy. I mean, uh, he uh, kind of he basically is replacing Mitch Moreland. You know, you're hoping for more as since you chew. Run differential wise, last year, Matt, their run differential was plus eight. Right. For a 95 win team, this that's is unsustainable. Big, this is the biggest case against them. They are. They were extremely lucky last year. They're regression candidate. Not only were they lucky, and they're not going to go. 20 and 0 against the 15 Astros. And 4 or whatever. Or if they dominated the Astros 15 and 4 head to head last year. The thing with the I think the, I think the Astros roster had head to toe is a little bit stronger than Texas. What fascinates me about the Astros Matt, and and you're you know, you, you know I go to you for this analytical point of view is this is a, a velocity world. We're just living in it. The <laughs> Astros have the least velocity of any starting pitching staff in the game and they didn't really add Velocity in the offseason. I find that just so incongruous. I really have a hard time evaluating them as an organization. I love their lineup, you know, top to bottom. I have depth. I love the Brian McCann acquisition. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for them. He could police the West, you know. He won't take any of that crap to the Rangers. But I mean, uh, it, it, but they, I can't get past their lack of velocity. Can you? Do you think the Astros, does that not matter as much with the rest of the strengths of their franchise? You weren't paying attention to Charlie Morton's spin rate on his curveball? <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> not enough. Not as much uh, as uh, Jeff Luna. I think best. in order to share my level of optimism, you have to expect Francis Martis to be up this year. You have to expect them to trade prospect inventory for a starter with velocity. Which I think is reasonable. To round out the rotation. And that's that's where my optimism comes from my concern though is reasonable is it not yeah i mean like because to me colin McHugh, mike fires dallas keichel you have to count on mccullers to stay healthy which is not a bet that's going to win you a lot of money joe musgrove come up because he's got some velo we saw him hit 94 i mean i think there's no question that of all the teams that you know have the opportunity to bring some more guys up to help out the Rangers are well positioned. Excuse me, the Astros are well positioned to do that. And again, for as much as I trade for a guy, I think they're, I think they're always right. really better positioned to trade for a guy. They and I got, they're closer to the majors. Help is I think more. I mean, these first base position players, even Martes, he's really good. He's been in Double A. He's twenty. Right, super young. I think I think you know expecting more than ten to twelve starts out of him at the major league level would be really optimistic for me. I still think he can. And I, and I do think that they would handle them well. I, I mean, I, I trust the Astros on that front. I'm a Brent Strom guy. I trust Brent Strom. But I, I do think they're going to wind up trading for, for help. Uh, even their bullpen to me just seems iffy. Um, and again, it's, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just concerned about their pitching. Um, even, even with Team USA closer, Luke Gregerson? Yeah, even with him. Uh, I'll tell you, the guy who is the X factor for them and is 
amazingly, seems like he's the guy who pitches most like a power pitcher for them, is Devo, Chris Davinsky. Quietly one of the best rookies in the American League last year. He had a great year last year, and I'll never forget calling about him when I did the Astros Top 30 in 2012, and that was the first year they had him. 2012, 2013, his last start had been a 16-strikeout no-hitter. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. At Kannapolis. And talking to uh, Astros club official about it, they were like, well, you know, he threw like 70 change-ups out of 100 pitches <laughs> in that game. Like, you know, low A change-up. Right-handed guy with a change-up. He's like topping out at 91 on that start. And then talking to Davinsky about it at the AAA championship game in 2014, 15, he was like, yeah, I did. Right, he's got 16 strikeouts and a no-hitter. He was like, what is the problem with that? You and, that's, know? and that's where sometimes I think, you know, sometimes it's not bad to focus on the results. Sometimes the process there's times you can overfocus on the result and yeah. not enough on the process, but I think it also goes the other way too. Where he's hey. got a he's got a seventy pitch. That's mm-hmm. what I, that's what my takeaway would have been. He's got a difference maker. Mm-hmm. So if the other stuff can come along, he's got an, at least an he's got an average fastball, if not a little bit above. And he has got he's like a guy. He's like we talk about Jarrell Cotton in some ways. Yeah, Matt. his breaking ball played pretty well last year too. In relief. It did, and it, it it's you know if you have a seven. If you have a pitch you that have a good, pitch. and if you can throw fastball strikes, a lot of other things don't have to. You don't have to have a snapdragon. Everyone's got to be looking for that changeup, and they can even hit it when they're looking for it. You can sneak in a breaking ball, and then the confidence in that pitch mushroom. Well, that, and he's a very confident sort. I, I, I like Davinsky. Mm-hmm. So to me, if they if they have the kind of success they want to have. It wouldn't shock me if Chris Davinsky went up being one of those three or four guys that started I mean, the playoffs. I do think Ken Giles is a bounce back candidate. You know, yeah. you know, everyone was so concerned he was so bad to begin, but right. if you look at the season numbers, he actually did a lot better in the second half. I think his ERA was six something or something awful for a little while there, but by year end it was down to the mid threes. So right. clearly he made an adjustment. So I, I do think that the Astros, there's no question that's why they're our AL West champion pick. I think you can very reasonably put them in the World Series. I just Maybe I'm too much of a history guy here. I've been burned by the Rangers before, thinking, hmm. "Oh, there's, you know, there's X and Y and Z why they're not that good," and then they go win the division anyway. They've won the division more often than they have it in this decade. Right. It's yeah. a, it's a winning culture that they have there, <laughs> and they've actually changed their culture the last couple of years with Jeff Bannister and instead of Ron Washington, uh, AJ Preller's not in their front office anymore, and Thad Levine left to go to uh, Minnesota, so they had some turnover there. I think they still have a uh, they, they, so they've evolved this winning culture. Winning's really expected there. Um, I, I, I think that's something that you hear people in sports talk about. I don't think we should minimize that. But those things do matter. It matters to the people in that clubhouse or in that front office. And I think John Daniels is to be commended for the fact that he a he's had real longevity. B he's had a lot of success there. And C he's changed with the times. Uh, this is not the same group that got the Rangers to the 2010 and 11 World Series. It's um, it's pretty impressive how they've done it, and really, who are the common pieces like Elvis Andrews? Mm-hmm. Who else? I mean, for, like for, from 2010. <clears throat> yeah, there's not, not a lot. They've really, you know, done a good job finding veterans. Yeah, I mean, who, Vlad Guerrero was on that 2010 right. World Series. <laughs> exactly. Team. It's uh, uh, John Daniels is the other common thread here. Um, Beltre was on the 2011 team. Right, Beltre. he arrived in 2011. So he's been the other constant. Since and that Na- 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 Napoli's gone a little circuitous route, but he's mm. back. He's gone and come back, yeah. And uh, he just follows around winning teams. I'm sure he has nothing to do with it. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast. I can, we can go in one of two directions. We can either pivot off those two teams who have power-laden offense first, second baseman, and veer in a little bit into that subject because they have Altuve and Odor, or uh, Venezuelan World Baseball Classic teammates, by the way. Yeah. 
third baseman for world, oh. for, for Venezuela. Or we could keep... I do think the American League West is the most fascinating division. I, I do think we have to talk about the Indians. I mean, they are the American League champs. They did take the Cubs to the 10th inning of Game 7. You know, my thought on them... And Matt, you mentioned your concern about, about, about Cubs. They also Cubs. had a 3-1 lead they blew. Right, I mean, that's true. You can think true. about it that way. But, but Matt, you mentioned you know, Cubs fatigue. As I look at the Indians, that's actually my concern with them mm-hmm. in the sense that we saw both Salazar mm-hmm. and Carrasco go down with injuries. We, you never really know how they're going to bounce back. And Corey Kluber's workload last year was off the charts mm-hmm. between his regular season, his postseason. He's got to make bigger charts. So for me, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know you hate that phrase. I no, no, I don't. No, I was a Vince, it's a Vince-ism. Yeah. So I do think for them, you know, I look at them, and that's my big, okay, I'm not going to pick against them. I think they've built a really good team. I do think they're the class of that division with some room to spare. But in terms of them getting back to the World Series and potentially winning it, mm-hmm. that's my big red flag. I agree. I think when you take a team that really relies on its rotation as its main strength, and ex- expect them to repeat that for seven months in a row the following season, that's a lot to ask. I think one recent example you can look at would be the 2015 Mets against the 2016 Mets. That was a team that relied on its rotation to get to the World Series. And then the following year, well, they had to deal with a lot of injuries. Right. And unforeseen circumstances. The things I like about the Indians, the positives I like for Cleveland are, A, uh, healthier, and he's going to play, Michael Brantley. This is a team a that, fairness, we think. They say that every year. <laughs> we no, think. We don't say that every year. We've well, said that for the last two a, a years. A lot of years. It seems like, oh, Michael even, Brantley's finally healthy, and it never happens. Even diminished Michael Brantley will be better than what they had in the outfield corners. They had an outfield, a left field Brandon Geyer, Rajay Davis, and oh, Carlos Santana National League. Brandon Geyer's good. I got no problem with Brandon Geyer. Are you downing Rajay Davis? I'm da- well, last year was Rajay Davis and Coco Crisp as their left field platoon mm-hmm. in the World Series. Okay, this is not- Car- Carlos Santana was starting some of those games in left field in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, like, so that's what I'm saying is, like, I like the fact, I like the option of 120 games of Brantley, even 100 games of Brantley over what they had. And, yeah. I mean... Napoli had 34 homers, 100 RBIs last year. I get it. He was also, I think, a 310 or 300 on-base percentage. And he is, he is a lesser player. 2016 Mike Napoli was a lesser player than what 2017 Edwin Encarnacion will be. I just, I, you know, yes. I'm not putting all the eggs in the Edwin basket. But I do think those, those are two potentially premium offensive players mm-hmm. that really upgrade their offense. I expect growth out of uh, Lindor. I think they're going to be a more potent offensive team. That's fair. Um, so I think that they, and I don't think they're going to be really too severely tested. And Kluber is awesome. Area. Kluber is awesome. I mean, he's awesome. Um, so, and the thing is, like, usually, like, what you're talking about with the Cubs, playoff fatigue from those starting pitchers, they don't have to worry about that in Cleveland. Only Kluber does. The rest of their staff was hurt. I mean, Carrasco and Santana were not at full strength in the postseason. Those two guys have a little chip on their shoulders to be fresh. And they're good. Those no, they're guys very are good. good. I just so they're I, not Kluber. I, lingering, no lingering injuries concerns me, and yeah. we'll see if Trevor Bauer can stay away from the drones. <laughs> right, exactly. So um, I'll be fascinated to see how they handle Andrew Miller in the regular season, but that's a weapon they also didn't have for most of the regular and season by last way, year. I, I forget the favorite. Brian, everyone forgets Brian Shaw. That, that's a hell of a pitcher on the back end, and you add you know Dan Otero had some good outings for them. Yeah, Cody Allen. I mean that right. Allen Shaw Miller. You're gonna rub it in. <laughs> yeah, but that, but that, you know, everyone talks about Andrew Miller as they should. He's incredible, but especially in the context of him with Allen and Shaw, I think that's a three-headed monster that is impressive. Because as great as Andrew Miller is, 
he can't go throw four innings every time you need you right. know, three or four innings every time you need big outs. But he might once or twice. He might once or twice. Right. Be fast day. Right. But again, you know, I mean, that's what, know, that's go, what I'm saying. That's go, gonna be really interesting to see if Terry Francona does that. That's fair. I just say don't you know. Don't underappreciate what Cody Allen did as well in the postseason. Dude, I think. I'm Mr. Cody Allen. I wrote about him in 2010. Don't lecture me about Cody Allen. No, no, Allen. I'm, I'm not, not Cody Allen. Generally speaking. Cody so. Allen, they had the number one and two players in the 2011 draft class who got to the big leagues. First rounder, Trevor Bauer. 23rd rounder, Cody Allen. Boom! Roast him. No, From? I will, I, will, I will say. High point. I will <laughs> say, if for whatever reason the Indians fall apart, I don't see every single member of the Royals lineup all tanking at the exact same time as they did last year, where Moustakas, Hosmer, Perez, Kane, all of them had their worst year together than they've had in a while. The lineup's I, not the problem. Right. I know. <laughs> pitching staff is. and that's. But I'm just, Royals but, but fans it, but will it know what I'm going on. But it didn't help. There's no question. But to me, I see a team that... If you get a couple key bounce backs, you know maybe some good can happen. And honestly, I'm not ready to bury the Tigers. Their depth isn't great, but I still see a rotation, of one through five solid. With you know now that Sanchez is in the bullpen, yeah. with some depth guys that can come in, the top six of that lineup I'll still take over most top sixes in baseball, even at the advanced age. I'd agree. I, th- I see both Kansas City and Detroit as having potential to win 90 games, but I could also see them winning 72 because right. there's a lot see, of volatility. I don't see Cleveland. They have too many ways to beat you. I don't see them winning fewer than like 88 games, 85 games. I agree. Whereas their upside is 93 to 100 wins. I mean, they really do have that kind of upside. And X-Factor, Brad Ausmus manages one of these teams. Ned Yost, who has won a World Series, manages one of these teams. Taya Francona manages Cleveland. He's better than they are. Oh, no doubt. So that's a huge factor here. I agree. And are the East, are we all saying Red Sox? I I I I I picked the Blue Jays. I, I'm bullish on Stroman and Aaron Sanchez even before the WBC. I, I love Stroman's potential for this year. And I'm all Those, I've been on the Aaron Sanchez bandwagon since he was at Barstow. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and I, mean, I think they're three three to five is the best in the division too. The Blue Jays rotation yeah. with the Red Sox. Their, their the Red offense Sox, is diminished, however. Right. If the Red Sox were at full strength, I would say yes. those two those two pitching staffs are a if, push. If I knew you were getting 220 innings out of Price, I would pick the Red Sox. Okay, and then which they're, which they're clearly not. Even at full strength, I think the the Jays rotation is underrated because, like I said, one to five. If Francisco Liriano mm-hmm. carries some of his success for spring training and like the stuff he's throwing a lot of strikes, if that carries over, that is a hell of a fifth starter. That's who Eduardo Rodriguez hopes to be. Yes. I like Eduardo Rodriguez. His template for success is Francisco Liriano. Liriano's been a little more a little erratic, more erratic than you like. A little erratic, but his <laughs> a lot good, erratic. but his highs are high. When, his highs are. When, when he's in the zone, batters can't touch him. Exactly. He is he is the kind of guy that when he's on, he gets good hitters out. Mm-hmm. In the zone, that's hard to find. That's really hard to find. I'll take the erratic because those 10 starts a year where he's on, those are those are wins. Check it. I mean, that guy's uh, – if he's 20 starts a year, then he's your first Plus, starter in a postseason. Plus, Glenn Sparkman in the bullpen. I will say this and just have to put it out but there. Their offense is diminished. Yes. Yeah, their offense is diminished. I do agree with the pitching staff. From 2012 to 2016, the American League team with the most victories the O's. is the Baltimore Orioles. And I yeah. think that, again, every They're not year, as good as these teams. Chris, but, Tillman, but, Chris Tillman being hurt. But, but here's the thing. That's we, a big we keep we keep saying that, and every year they Some outperform. They outperform, they outperform at Dakota least one does. of them. Dakota says it. But well, we don't need to talk about them. That's, they right. have a lot of mistakes. But I mean, going forward, I think that it's always a mistake to assume. 
oh, this is the year the O's finally tank. Because... I'm going to make an analogy that's going to kill you. It's the exact same analogy I used to make that when Dean Smith coached North Carolina, you would never pick them to finish lower than third in the ACC because from 1967 to 1997, they never did. Right. See, and, and That's hard for a Duke fan to have to hear that. But I'm, gonna, I'm being as, not as noxious as I can. But that is, that is exactly the same analogy. You right. would never have picked them to finish below third right. because they didn't. For 30 years. Right. I mean, I and, as much as we talk they, about the Orioles' flaws, I'm not going to pick them to win fewer than 85 games. And maybe Show Walter will bring in Zach Britton to start the season. Like <laughs> <laughs> that, they deserve that. He, but should pitch, he should pitch the first inning. But it is amazing to look at the Blue Jays and think, okay, yeah, they have Morales to replace Edwin, sort of, but... Sort of. They're going to start Justin Smoke at first base this year again. You haven't figured this out about their corner off. I mean Melvin Upton and right. No, their outfield. Their outfielders are Batista, Pilar, Melvin Upton, and Ezekiel Carrera, plus a little Steve Pierce. That is not a winning recipe. This team is basically we're, they're trying to figure out now how much can we put on Josh Donaldson's shoulders? Because I used to say how much can they put on Josh Donaldson and Troy Tulowitzki's shoulders. But Tulo's a secondary player now. Mm-hmm. He's not a star. He's in the not. Team. He's not what Tulo used to be. He's just not. You know, right. So uh, that's for me. Diminished I... dirt bag hashtag. That'd be a good. That'd be a good one. And that's why they, I... they have the best dirt bag though, which is Marco Estrada. We didn't even mention Marco Estrada. That's another seventy changeup. That might just be an eight. Hey, Matt, Matt, Matt Duffy down in Tampa. No. Yeah. No. But I mean, that's yeah. why their rotation is so good. Not only do they have five really good pitchers, they have five guys who do it totally differently. Right. And I love that variety. I love the I love teams that have variety on offense. I like teams that have variety in the pitching staff. They have two lefties, not four. <laughs> they have two lefties who do it totally differently in Happ and Liriano. They have Strowman's and, and you can do that kind of thing when you have Russ Martin behind the plate. Right. I don't know if you could do that if you're the Red Sox and you have basically either Christian Vasquez, like sort of rookie, not rookie, but not established. And Blake Swihart, who got who's, who got who got demoted, Swihart's right. not on the opening day roster. I mean, it's harder to do that when when you, you I, can't I, pick against Sandy. Sandy, Sandy Leon, Leon you yeah. stop hitting fifty again. Oh yeah, for sure. Exactly. So, so I like the Red Sox lineup a lot better than Toronto's. No question. I mean, there's, I, I think it's a vast difference, even without Big Poppy. Yeah. But that is one to watch. You know, Boston's playing a season without David Ortiz, and they haven't won a World Series without David or, without David Ortiz in the lineup. Since 1980. So they haven't won without David Ortiz or Babe Ruth in the lineup since, what, 1903, 4, 5, something like No World Series. In Time to make some new history. Exactly. That's, that's how they should view it. Um, let's talk about this second baseman story before we go. Um, because it was my brainchild. I forced it down everybody's throats here in the office. But I do think it's fascinating on a number of levels that this like 2016 was this epic season for second base. Minor League Player of the Year in Yon Mankata, top who's the highest-rated second-base prospect of all time. And that's a glamour position. I guess it's been building to be a glamour position, but really it was almost summarized for me yesterday talking with a scout at the NHSI about evaluating hitters and, and amateur hitters. Now amateur hitters basically throw the knob at the baseball and make contact and they swing down, and that as pros you have to be taught to swing up a little bit and Try to elevate and celebrate, as yeah. Hunter Green Uppercut says. swings aren't necessarily a slur anymore. Right. And they never were, as the problem. Yeah. But they ever became one was the problem, I should say. Mm-hmm. And I said, kind of like Brian Dozier. And he said, exactly like Brian Dozier. And Brian Dozier is really like the poster boy for this. A guy who was a four-year player at Southern Miss, a good player, helped lead them to the Caldwell Series in 2009, even though he broke his wrist late that year. But a guy who hit, what was it, what's the stat here? In 224 games at Southern Miss, he hit 16 home runs. In 365 minor league games, he hit 16 home runs. 
but in 699 major league ho- games, he's at 117 home runs. When, uh, how, by how did second base become a power position, um, and is this a golden age of second baseman that we're in right now? Uh, probably yes. You know, Dustin Pedroia's theory in the story is that the position has become more athletic. I think what's more accurate to say is the position has become more physical. Because hmm. if you look BMI at my time, well, if you look at yeah, if you look at the positions that have grown the most in terms of BMI over the past few generations of players, it's third base, catcher, second base, and shortstop. And guess which positions have hit for more power compared with what they did 20 years ago? Third base? Catcher, <laughs> second base, shortstop. So it's a bigger position today and probably more athletic. To be bigger and play those positions, you have to be more athletic. That's just the bottom Is line. Is it a golden age? Who are the best second basemen in the Hall of Fame and did they... Joe Morgan. Did their careers overlap? Yeah, exactly. yeah you know? I mean, the 70s did have... Bobby Gritch. Exactly. I mean, it was late 70s, early 80s. Joe Morgan was still hanging around. Lou Whitaker. Yeah, Lou Whitaker. You had Ryan Sandberg. Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, to me. Like today, the shoe in is Robinson Cano is, on, is clearly on page. He's on a path. He's on a path. Follow. I don't know if anybody else has quite reached the thresholds. I mean, Chase Utley's going to have his supporters. Yeah, he had an awesome gonna, career. He's probably going to fall short. Probably. Of but, but again, you're still talking about a guy who's, you know, cup, you know won a ring, going to have well over 2,000 hits, more home runs than you'd give him credit for. Yeah. I mean, and we just saw Daniel Murphy be the uh, NL MVP runner-up. Right. Not going to be a Hall of Famer. Right. But, but have but, a hell of a year. Hell of a year. But, but he'll always be the MVP of the 2015 NLCS. That's true. The sneaky guy who I was disbelief, you edited it in, I edited it out, and you were right. Jose Altuve... Starting to put together a Hall of Fame career because he has so many stinking hits. <laughs> He's got a lot of stinking hits. I mean, I, I've been watching a lot of Roy Williams lately. I should have said dad gum hits. I mean, he's a guy that, yeah, I mean, he's going to pass 3,000 hits pretty easily if he keeps this up. Well, he'll make, he's making it look easy to pass 1,000 hits. I'll say that for and, sure. Yeah, he's already to, done it. Right. <laughs> to argue for a golden age of second base, I think you, you can look at this, which is in the issue. Second baseman had the fifth highest... Power index last year, if you take like the positions, isolated power versus the league average. But they have by far the best strikeout index. They strike out less than any other position. Which also speaks while, to While getting to this amazing power. That's so it. I think high that, contact, that, that argues in favor of it being a golden era. High contact with higher production in yes. an age of less contact. Yes. And in a lot of ways, less production. You know, Where all the production is home runs. These guys seem like they are able to do it. Who, who well, would you who, pick? As, if you had to pick one second baseman... Right now, for 2017, who would you pick? For your team, you're for building my a team. team. I mean, I, I, for 2017 alone, Yes. I would say Altuve, but I would happily take Robinson Cano. If you told me for the next five, ten years, it's Altuve, no questions asked. For this one year alone, Cano or Altuve, I'll be happy to take either. So I'd take Cano over Altuve, but it's close. For one year, Cano, yeah. yeah. Altuve is the only... Only one of these established guys who's under 30, so he's he's clearly the long-term pick. That's that's the impressive part, is that, the, oh, that that's what kind of makes this a goal. Like, where I think the reason that I really wanted to do this story this year, and Joel Poiley, our freelancer, did a really nice job with it, actually. The reason I want to do it is that I feel like this is a crest. That was the top of the crest. It's never going to get better than 2016, but I do think the template has changed, as Mike Ratcliffe of the Twins told Joel Poiley, the template for how they scout players at the amateur level has changed. Um, he just put it this way. The profile for middle of the diamond guys has changed. Speed and quickness and agility used to be the primary traits. Now we think more of the power of the bat. It's not a bat-controlled guy anymore. 
And that's what you always, just growing up in the 80s and 90s, if you're watching games, especially in the 80s, it's like batting second, playing second, so-and-so. Yeah. It always happened. Like, as a Red Sox fan growing up, it was Marty Barrett. It was those kind of guys, or Jody Reed. It was those kind of guys who played second base. Yeah. And the Bobby Gritches were the outliers. Damian Easley for the Angels. Right. I mean, even he was an outlier. He was Good a power player. guy. Yeah, he had some power. You know, he was a big hack, no yeah. contact had, guy, too. You had some Rex Hubler. You had some guys in there. Yeah. But like now, you kill the Overus for the Padres. But, but, yeah, but sure. the, the irony—it's not the right word—but is that they actually do have more back control than any other position on the field. Right. <laughs> Statistically, they still have that back control. That's right. Um, so some other, just some other notes about the power spike in today's game. One scout theorized that players require more bat speed to even play in the majors because the velocity has increased. So much, yeah. That just, was a, just in the past decade. That so was a great point. Batters just must re- possess bat speed in order to even play and succeed in the majors. And therefore, you'd expect more power up. That's a point that JJ Cooper has made, and JJ's been digging a lot on like a player like a John Olerud because Brendan McKay in this year's draft gets compared to John Olerud, who was a great two-way player in college. So much so that now, you know, I think it's bogus. But somebody like, college football has like uh, the, here's the offensive lineman award for, but it's like center, guard, and tackle. A lot of these college baseball uh, things are starting to do this now. There's, there's the best shortstop award. There's this and that and the other. It's following this college football model, which is Dumb. alien to baseball. So that's why. I, I, no, sir, I don't like it. Uh, but but, but the, the, there's a two-way award. That's the John Olerud Award because he was such a good pitcher as well. But Olerud, the scouts who we've talked to who saw him, said he was an average bat speed guy. Hmm. And you almost wonder because I would imagine that the average bat speed – has gone up, and I forget who I was talking to at NHSI the other day. He talked about how hitting speed now is 90 to 92. It used to be like <laughs> 86, 88 was like right where bat speed is. It's just skyrocketed because that 992 used to be a good fastball, good enough that when I was researching, one of my first stories here was a Tim Hudson profile when he got off to a great start at uh, Auburn. And I wrote in there that his fastball velocities increased up to 89 to 92, a plus fastball. Nice. I wrote that in 1997. He's a contemporary player. He just retired a year and a half ago. And yet, when he was being scouted, and he hit 20-some bombs that year as their four-hole hitter, playing center <laughs> field, again, two-way, but he also was their ace on the mound. He was, it was a plus fastball at 89-92. Clearly, he also had great sync. But the game mm-hmm. is just a totally different game. And I, and, and I think that's, like you said, when there is more bat speed, there is more power. Mm-hmm. It just... No matter what position, and, really. You know, harder velocity as well. The ball goes farther, the harder it's thrown. Right. I mean, there's some of that, too. I also, one of the things that really stood out to me from Joel's article, which Ray did a great job on, thought was interesting, was we've talked about the defensive, you know, and I think the stereotype of, well, second basemen are just failed shortstops, when in reality, second basemen handle almost as many chances, if not more, than shortstops they do. Had, they handle more most seasons. They, so it's actually sort of, they're unfairly degraded as defenders. But one thing I thought was interesting was the discussion of how shifts have allowed some second basemen who are more, who are bigger, stronger, power-heavy, might not have the range, right. but the shifts have allowed them to be more acceptable or suitable in some people's eyes so that whatever defensive deficiencies they might have are no longer there because of shifts, and they can just let them let, let them rake. This is my next point. Yes, uh, the the more analytically inclined teams are just going to position their third baseman, shortstop, and second baseman more efficiently now, and therefore range is not a prerequisite like it once might have been. And again, but the the biggest factor that we probably haven't talked about is the disappearance of astroturf. 
That I just about you you preempted my because I was going to say this is the discussion we actually had 20 years ago when Nomar and A Rod and Jeter came up any of these bigger shortstops and I remember making the point that when I was talking to and I mean, this came up talking about Trey Turner too on turf you had to play deeper mm-hmm. which necessitated greater arm strength as well mm-hmm. I mean so the profile of what you had to have to have a shortstop when 20 of the 26 teams had turf or 18 of the 26 teams had turf. Is totally different than it is now, but it really was. I mean, like you think of the Cardinals; they were a turf team. You just look around the National League, the like Reds, the, yeah, the National League, like the, the teams that had grass. You could count on like a hand. It felt like the Mets and the Braves had grass. I think the Padres, the Dodgers had grass. Had grass. Pretty much most. Of the Padres and the Giants. I think that was it. Yeah. I mean, wow. I, mean I think I mean, the whole American National League was now the Central, like the Pirates and the, the Cardinals and the Reds. All those teams were turf. I guess the uh, the Astros were turf as well because they were in the National League yeah. at that time. Just a completely different game. It's something we don't think about, but we probably should in terms of the player profiles at middle infield in particular. Oh, I've thought about it. It's, I know. <laughs> but it's unquestionable. But it, it should be more at the forefront. But like a guy like a Trey Turner really is a turf player. Those kind of guys that whip it. But even he has power. But he's like a, he is a throwback in so many ways. But, you know, my daughter has a presentation today on Vincent Van Gogh, and I keep on trying to tell her and my son, like, hey, Vincent Van Gogh, my all-time favorite baseball nicknames, Vince Coleman's nickname, <laughs> Vincent Van Gogh. But, but could, you, could a player like that even beat him? Like, who's I mean, like a corner guy who was an all-speed guy? It's very rare that to have a guy like that. Like, if Ezekiel Carrera stole 100 bags... <laughs> He'd be Vincent Van Gogh, I guess. But. I guess we don't have, like, the Ron LaFleurs, the guys who stole 100 bags or whatever, Vince Coleman's. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, or even, like, just a decade ago, like, Willie Tavares. Like, who's, like, like Billy Hamilton? Who else is like that in today's game? I guess Jacoby Ellsbury doesn't hit for power anymore, so he's kind of that guy. You know, that, that, that was earlier. I was going to say, like, I will throw in. I'll throw in that I do think the Yankees are actually undersold right now, which is very strange. People kind of think of them as being in rebuild mode, and I guess they are. I can't um, take that rotation seriously. I just can't. I, they're they're so, going to be better than you so, think. So you heard it here, John Manuel. All right, Yankees bet, for the AL pennant. Bet, bet board rotation. Tanaka and the <laughs> and the rest fine. of it. Tanaka's really good, and their bullpen's really good. Um, they're going to be interesting this year. I bet. I, I, uh, more interesting than people think. I, I think I see four out of every five games. Actually, oh, three out of every five games. They're going to have the lesser of the two starting pitchers on the mound, and most times on the fourth day as well. This That's is often true. They're another team that's never played on turf, to my knowledge. Not even the, not even when they were redoing Yankee the Stadium. Old Dodger Stadium was always grass, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Dodgers been there. So, but but, no, but, yeah. but but it is so different on turf. Range was such a premium, well, and the ball just moves so much faster. It's insane. I, I, it's crazy. The other thing is, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. The data is pushing us toward an environment of fewer ground balls. All hitters want to hit. They don't want to hit down on the ball. We were talking about this discussion before we were on air. Also true. Swing paths are changing, so you're going to have, if you have fewer ground balls, you'll have less need for range to be a high priority for an infielder. In the aggregate, yes. In the aggregate. But, but of course, in late and close situations, you always want those ground balls converted. Right. You want that two <laughs> to go in strat terms. Yeah. You do not want that four. Ricky Weeks and Jeff Kent need not apply. Well, what was it? Uh, I mean, Samuel Murphy had a couple of errors in key spots at just yeah. the worst possible time, so you do have to balance it a it, little bit. The, 20, just... the 2015 World Series, yeah. yeah. It goes back to the classic. That's why Ian Kinsler was playing second base for the U.S. and not Daniel Murphy. Yeah, no, I, I, 100%. And, well, that and the fact that Jim Leland trusted him implicitly. And to his credit, Ian Kinsler came through with several big hits. Another, another underrated player who... 
he is. might have his Hall of Fame supporters one day. I was about to say, he's he's a compiler in general for his Hall of Fame case. But part of being a compiler means you have to be pretty good to very good to occasionally great for a long time. time. Ian Kinsler has done that, and he was part of that Rangers team, the start of this Rangers run. Yep. Yep. And I'll never forget talking to scouts about him in 2004, his first full year after he got drafted in the 17th round in the 03. I was like, who is this guy? I knew who he was, but this dude who's just like raking in the Midwest League was hitting 400 with power. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to a pro scout who said, uh, this guy swings out of his ass every time. He swings as hard as he can every swing. And I'm like, I'm banking that. About, you know, he ha- and he's done it for 12, 13 years. And he makes a lot of contact mm-hmm. and he still runs. He's a really interesting player. I, my favorite Ian Kinsler story is that he started his college career at Arizona State. Yeah. Dustin Pedroia got the pick. He said, I think I'll go to Mizzou. But the no, fun- he went to Central Arizona, Arizona JC in between. Oh, Don't okay. forget. Played okay. with Scott Harrison. Played with Rich Harden. Oh, and the head coach there at Central Arizona, now the head softball coach at Auburn. This is Clint, a story Clint I really Myers. want to do. Yeah, that's right. Clint, uh, also former ASU softball <laughs> Correct. coach. Correct. And needs to be the ASU baseball coach, but that's a whole other story. No offense, Tracy Smith, but that job should have been coached. Should be in the Myers family. But anyway, I wish you wouldn't coach but softball. Anyway, I thought it was interesting because you talk about another guy, you know, middle infielder, swings from his heels every play, and has yeah. had a really good career. It's kind of funny to Very imagine. Very similar to Pedroia. Ian Kinsler and Dustin Pedroia on this. That would have been a really fun college infield if they had been able to make that work. All right, which young second baseman do we like? This is an older position, but who are our top young second baseman under 30? Do we like Jonathan Scope? Do we like Rugnet Odor? Devin Travis? Cesar Hernandez, I'll throw him in there. I'll <laughs> throw him into the mix as well. Um, I, I think Brian Dozier counts as young. I mean, like after Altuve, Altuve is clearly the, the class of the under 30 second baseman. Dozier's 29, he turns 30 in mid May. Devin Travis could stay healthy. Yeah. I think he'd be my pick. And I, I do like Jonathan Scope. Obviously, he's not a perfect player, but mm-hmm. uh, he's a guy who does a lot of good things, and he's still pretty young. He's, I think, still getting better. He's a guy, you know, the Orioles had Brian Roberts manning second base for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, very different type of player, but, you know, there's a lot of value in having a, a guy you can stick at second base for 10 years in the top 30 of your lineup and know he's going to be a good player. A lot of teams would kill to have that, and I think Jonathan Scope has a chance to be a guy like that. I think of Scope and Odor as almost identical players. Yes, they're very similar. They're very similar. Odor's left-handed hitter. However, Scope is a much stronger defender. And that that's is the, the key difference. difference. I the key I, difference. I think the perception in the industry or among fans is that Odor is greater than Scope. I consider Scope better. Let me put. There's a reason I just said Jonathan yeah. Scope when you asked right. which one you prefer. There's a specific reason I said Scope. I mean, Scope's only 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know Odor's young. Scope is young. I feel like if I needed one of those guys to play shortstop, I'd ask Scope. I would never ask Odor. No. If I needed him to play third base, we just saw. Odor <laughs> can't do it. Scope could do it. I, I think there's room for growth with Jonathan Scope, but that's, again, like that. I would, I would love to see one of those guys. First one to 25 walks wins. You know, like, in, in an alternate career, Scope might have played shortstop if he right. weren't behind J.J. Hardy. And he, he won't in Baltimore. I mean, like if, if, right. uh, as soon as Hardy can't do it. But he had to come up with another team. So, but, I mean, we talk right. about we have this great veteran core. You have an interesting group of guys in their 20s. Then the prospect core, you mentioned Yohan Mankata. I'm a huge Ian Happ fan. I think he is the real deal. I think he's He gonna, had a great spring. Not it, a good spring. A great I, spring. Every t- I saw him in the Cali Gals, Carolina Golf Star game. saw him in the Arizona Fall League. And every time he's at the plate, he drove the ball, hit it from both sides, 
all over the field. And I know there's some question but about whether, where he ends up, but right. I still think he plays second base for the reasons we discussed with the shifts, with the ability to manipulate where you're putting your fielders to allow them to succeed. He honestly could be. He can do it. He reminds me actually a lot of Odor, but he walks. He's going to strike out a lot. I think, he, I think he's, he's more like a Jason Kipnis or Neil Walker style player for me. Right. I mean, he switch hits, so he's not necessarily. Right. Good. But that, I think his hit tool is better than Odor, but I think he's going to hit for power. But he and he he walks. But I do think defensively. He may wind up down the defensive spectrum, and, but maybe, maybe. But at the same time, I just we talk about these bigger, more physical second basemen who can rake. And to me, look, Moncada's the class of it. We're not going to debate. But Ian Happ is still a top fifty. A better career. He's still a he's top a, fifty prospect. To he, this point, I'd say he's a better pure hitter than Yohan Moncada. I also like Happ a lot. I, I think when talking in, in Southern League about the ranking, one manager said he had the best hitting hands in the league. It means a lot. Yes, and, <laughs> and, and he's willing to put in the work to play second base, which I think is the essential part of the conversion. That's the essential part, is that in college, you don't have an infield coordinator. You, you have NCAA restrictions on how many times you can come out and take ground balls. Which is like, beyond dumb. But it's let's dumb. <laughs> well, it's beyond dumb if you go to college to play baseball. Like If your thought is to play baseball and you need to improve, like, like if, if you want to improve your skills... It's very hard to argue that college is the better place. If you're physically ready out of high school, it's really hard to argue you're going to get... And their coaching in college is so much better now than it used to be because they're paid more. They don't have to leave like Kevin O'Sullivan did in 1997 to go be a GCL coach, a pitching coach, with the Twins because he made twelve grand a year at Virginia. Those days are, those guys are making twelve grand a week maybe at Virginia now. I, mean, I'm, I may be exaggerating a little bit, but the point is that the coaching in college is better now than it ever was. It's still the coaching in professional baseball is also better because instead of having like a one manager to run a whole well, more rookie ball team, exactly, yeah. they have more coaches and they have spe- uh, specific coaches to defense and all these kind of things that make it. So defense is where that really gets better the most. I really probably shouldn't write off Ian Happ defensively because if he's ever going to get better, it's going to be in pro ball with the Cubs organization that's focused on that. And the thing is, the one young second baseman we didn't even mention is the most tatted up of all of them, is Javier Baez. He might be the best one oh, yeah, of him. all these guys. <laughs> yeah. He's not even a regular second baseman because they still have Zobrist, and they might want to play that guy. Kyle Schwarber in left field. So I don't even know if Javier Baez is guaranteed to be a regular this year. Would you take? I would take Baez over. He's in the same I, genre I would, I, as Scope and I mean, I, I, I would take Baez um, above all. You know, he's such an electric, exciting player. The one thing with him, and this is just... Seeing him at the World Series, you know, watching him on TV, and then seeing him in person at the World Series, seeing him in person at the World Baseball Classic, he's got to stop swinging at those balls in the dirt. Dear <laughs> God, man. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where, again, we, you know, we laugh about, but there's a point where it costs you. It oh, costs yeah. you in the World Series. It costs you in big games when you're up in a big spot and the pitcher knows if he just throws you three breaking balls low and away, you're going to swing over the top. That's why I'm not as optimistic about Baez. Th- that said, even with that flaw, but he's very he's still no door and scope in that regard. But see, I, I like him better no door. Scope, I think, is probably a little bit of a better hitter since he doesn't have the holes that Baez does. But I think skill-wise, Baez is superior. So to me, yeah. if I'm starting a team and I want one at second base... I'm not going to argue against either. You want to give me one of them? Awesome. I'm stoked. Yeah. I still think Devin Travis is the best combination of attributes, except for health. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's a Which, big one And that's me. one of the things where if you're not on the field, it doesn't matter what you have. And that's and that, there's no question, though. I think he's a really good player and someone that is 
under I don't want to say underrated but underregarded. He's I think he's underappreciated but only that uh, but the reason is a good reason that he's played 163 big league games. Yeah. And that's with ample opportunities like hey, hey we don't want to play Darwin Barney either. You know, come on, play. Ryan Goins. We don't want Ryan, Ryan Goins, Goins either. <laughs> we want you um, to show us the way. Are you kidding? This is two of the best utility infielders in baseball. They're, they're good utility infielders. That's what they are. Right. That's He's, a, we're talking about good second, everyday second baseman. <laughs> so I like Devin Travis. I like his field to hit way better than those other guys. But I prefer those other players. And also, he's shy of these other guys defensively. I think by a fairly considerable margin. He's better than Odor, I would say. He's probably more reliable than Odor. But Baez and Scope are clearly the defensive class of this right. group. And Odor yeah. has the best right hook of any of these guys. So, I mean, like, <laughs> let's give credit where credit is due. And apparently he's the best horseman of all these guys, too. He got, he got horses at his uh, extension. The one year I ranked the Rangers prospects, they loved talking about Odor's makeup. So it's no surprise that John Hart. he's been a regular for them since he was 20 or whatever, you know? John Hart also raved about it the year we did our Top 100, our top 50 yeah. Prospect show with him. They just love the guy. And he was just contrasting his makeup with Profar's. You, you know, he, he said Pro, it's almost like Profar was too nice. He loved Rugnet Odor's mean streak. And that, Well, that's where it's interesting, right? When people talk about makeup, there's that's such a loaded word because some people will see that, oh, that means he's composed, he's mature. For others, it means, oh, he's got a little bit of that arrogance that you want. For other people, it means... We're never going to have to worry about him. He's going to be the, you know, quote unquote consummate professional. So I think it's kind of funny because when you, I think some people would laugh and say, oh, but they loved his makeup. What are you talking about? The guy's all over the place. He's throwing fists. He's being, you know, overly animated at times. But when you talk about makeup in the context of, oh, he's got a little bit of that mean streak. Competitive like that. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah but yeah. it's just interesting how I think the word yeah. makeup sometimes can get thrown around and to mean things that people don't think it means. Right. I mean, I think that's thrown around because sometimes you want to be vague because uh, you want to shield the player or you want to even shield your source. But there are, I mean, like for him, it is competitive toughness. And I would say he has the most of these guys. Hanging in on double plays. With the exception of maybe Baez. Baez also, like, has been through it. I mean, Baez is the type of guy that over a 162-game season keeps you interested as a fan. He's the most. And on on your team. And, And don't, you know... People like to crap on clubhouse chemistry. Don't underrate how important it is for guys who are slogging through 162 games in these hot summers. More often than not, especially once July and August hits, wondering, I why am I here? I don't feel like being here. But when you have guys like See, that, 100 years can, ago when they thought that, they were like, well, let's go drink our, let's go right, drink. drink whiskey. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. Lots of whiskey. Right. <laughs> That's the difference. You know, so it's just something where I think that there's there's a lot to that. What bias does for your fan base, for your clubhouse. Just the sheer energy and passion he shows for the game, it helps. He's the most fun player to watch in the major leagues right now, non-Mike Trout category. For me, he is the I most agree. fun player to watch. I'm not making any case he's the best, but who would I rather watch play? Javier Baez. Yeah. From the highs and the lows. His lows are spectacular, like I was talking about before. When he fails, he fails spectacularly. His lows are real and they're spectacular. You know, exactly. When he succeeds... He succeeds spectacularly. <laughs> One other guy who's really in that fun vein to watch, Starling Marte. I mean, he flies around. He makes some exciting plays. Yeah. He does a lot of things, too, that, again... He's dynamic. These are dynamic athletes right, you're right. talking about. You know, so, again, just from a pure... The, those who walk more than 20 times a year, yeah. not apply. <laughs> but, you know, they're like, they're like at his peak, right. that's what made Tulo. Is yeah. that Troy Tulowitzki was always on the cusp of something spectacular. Now, Josh Donaldson's like that. Josh Donaldson is on the cusp of spectacular, and he also had my favorite tweet of the summer, of the spring. We could maybe end with this. Did you guys see when he they, they, he was he's coming back from injury in spring training? So he's just hitting 
He's cleared to hit, but he's not cleared to run. Oh, and he hits so the ball the and walks off. Yeah, so he's on backfield. <laughs> so he that. drops a tank, and he just walks back to the to the dugout. Not even a dugout. It's like a cage on their backfield, Dunedin. And Sean Allen, New Mexican and friend of the program and assistant coach at Texas. Criticized I really him. respect him. He flamed him on Twitter like, I hope my players respect the game more than that. <laughs> I, Sean doesn't talk like that. But, but Josh Donaldson was like, I haven't been cleared to play yet. And good luck with all the bunts you're going to drop or something like that. Just like, <laughs> boom, roasted right there on the bunts. And Sean Allen was like, I'm sorry. sorry. But Josh Hamilton, Josh Hamilton, Josh Donaldson... <laughs> Has so much fun. He plays with such passion. And he seems like he gets better every year. The only thing that I don't like about him and Javier Baez, both. Those are like 20 or 30 hair. That's how they mix it up. I'd almost <laughs> rather they mix in a stiff drink every once in a while rather than subject us to that hairstyle. But it's their hair. They can do with it what you know they who want. who was exciting as hell in his prime and had great hair? It was Vlad Guerrero with the dreads. When he came to the Angels. <laughs> the corners, and he was, right? Yeah, the yeah. corners. When he was hitting balls off his feet 450 feet. And throwing out guys from the farthest corner of right field. And he did it with great hair. And he didn't talk with a big smile. Vlad <laughs> Guerrero was incredibly fun to watch. There's no question about that. I will say the best picture of Vlad Sr. is still the one that with him and Vlad Jr., which I will show you guys. Because, yep. A, he has the cornrows. Oh, man. And Vlad Jr. has the fantastic, like, baby fat. Can baby, baby fat. You need like, to tweet that. <laughs> oh, I've tweeted it. I mean, we put this on our show, on the Top 50 show, but we talked uh, wow. Vlad Guerrero Jr. I mean, this picture is just gold, Jerry. Gold. It doesn't come it's across great, the It's great because they're wearing Expos uniforms. They're in... Stadolimbique. It's awesome. Everything about that picture wins. The cornrows, Vlad Jr. tipping his cap, those Expos uniforms. Baby fat, all of it. It's fantastic. And the Astro so. and the turf. Yes. Circle back around. Circle back around. So, <laughs> a rollicking good podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Listening, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, good stuff, obviously, from Kyle and from Matt. And next week when we podcast, we'll uh, maybe it'll be the same three of us. Uh, I'm sure JJ Cooper will. Uh, elbow his way in here. Four so man podcast. About, that's right. So we talk yeah, about. Uh, I'll sit that one out. <laughs> but we'll talk about surprising debuts in the major league season, and we hope everyone enjoys uh, major league opening day. But we want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. Our podcast and Facebook lives are sponsored by Baseballism because Baseballism is the official off the field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out baseballism.com or visit the retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com, enter the code BA2017, and save 20% off your order. So for Kyle and Matt, I'm John. Have a great weekend, everybody, and happy opening day. So long. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.